it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This show can be found on Podcast DC, the new local app with hundreds of options in local news, health, and, of course, of the DMV region. Download the Podcast DC app to hear all the Empire shows as well as the other great content. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by former Washington tight end Logan Paulson, who watched more film of rookie linebacker Jamin Davis and rookie tight end John Bates. And Logan provided more insight into why he likes both players. There are some questions with Davis against the run, but not when it comes to certain aspects of his game. And we discuss how a team can take that so-called next step. Logan played on a couple teams here that failed to do just that. He provides insight into how he thinks it can happen, and he discusses the quarterback situation. While others are focused on Taylor Heineke's game against Tampa Bay, Paulson said he can't forget an earlier one he played against Heineke a couple years ago. It's why he thinks it'll be Ryan Fitzpatrick all the way. Logan is always an insightful guest. I learn every time I talk to him. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson. 82 and he provides the occasional film breakdowns there it's really good stuff and you can follow me on instagram at john Kime espn you can read my work on espn.com i have a story up now about running back antonio gibson and his potential impact this season i'll be on and off for most of the next several weeks mostly off but i will have a couple of stories popping up here and there the podcast will continue all summer and if you're in the richmond area you can listen to a compilation of the podcast every Sunday at 10 a.m. on ESPN Richmond 106.1. Not a whole lot going on right now, so let's just get right to my conversation with Logan Paulson. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with the John Kime Report, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. All right, Logan. Well, I wanted to have you back on anyways, and then I see you posting some stuff on your Instagram account talking about Jamie Davis. I know earlier in the month you had something with John Bates. But on the Davis stuff, that's what I wanted to bring you on right now because I thought it was was really, as always, it's really good. And for people listening, check out Logan's Instagram account because when you're posting the video up there, when you do that, the breakdowns are really good and thorough and they're educational. But what was your takeaway after watching Davis some more on film from college? So I I always like to kind of hit it once before and then hit it again after, like let it sit for a little bit because – 
what you find is you kind of get caught up in like the media buzz a little bit. Oh, like so-and-so is looking good. He did this at his pro day. And then when you're watching the tape, you're like kind of get a little confirmation bias. You're like, oh, like there's that speed that he, you know what I mean? So kind of taking a step back, letting it get out of your head for a little bit, getting away from the press clippings and then revisiting it. I think it's always helpful to kind of see if your, if your initial assumptions hold true. And so one of the things that I kind of came away with was like, he, he looks a little stiff when he runs, you know what I mean? But he shows up kind of like as like crossing lines. Like even though he doesn't have like the most conventional or pretty or aesthetically pleasing running style, he, that athleticism and that speed shows up. He's a long strider. Uh, one of the things that I came away with, and it's on the Instagram, is like just how well he covers, right? He kind of yeah. covers at this like next level. He uses his eyes really well. He understands pass concepts. And I knew that from before, but having watched probably – four more games now on him. You just, it's like one of those things. It's like, you can set your watch by it. You know, every single down, every single pass concept, he's, he's, his eyes are just like, he's mashing concepts. He's passing guys off, off at the right time. And that's really special for a linebacker. And like, and, you know, and I said it in the video, but like, I'm going to say it again, because it's so important that people understand this. Like linebackers now have to cover, like you have to do that. And if you can't do that, like you shouldn't be on the field. And I know that's kind of backwards and it, that's one thing I have a really hard time with when I'm evaluating linebackers is because like Jamin, for example, is not great playing off of a, a double team on a down line, but right. like he, he gets a little high. He doesn't attack the double. He, he doesn't use those long arms all the time. So you're like, man, like that's not good. However, he does this other thing exceptionally well. You know what I mean? He's like outstanding in the coverage area. And then, you know, like when he has a clear path to the ball and he can run and uncoil his hips, like, he shows up really dramatically. And so like that first element where he's got to play off a double team and kind of get like fend off offensive linemen, that's an old school linebacker. Right? You know, I made the comparison of London Fletcher, Ray Lewis, Brian Erlacher, those guys who were big, physical, um, had to play the run a ton. Like that body type is, is slowly kind of matriculating its way out of the NFL. And you're getting these guys who are running hit linebackers like Deion Jones down in Atlanta, I think is a really – Nice comparison. The guy weighs maybe 205 pounds. He runs a 4-3. He covers like a safety. And he can kind of, if you cover him up, he can make plays in the run. I think Jamin's better than Dion in terms of playing the run. Like, because Dion, if you get your hands on him, it's game over, right? right? I think he brings some of that elite coverage skill. I think he brings some of that kind of like see ball, hit ball mentality. Like, he's got some really nice to space tackles and he works well in space. And I think that's, what's going to challenge the position. So like, if you're a fan, you're watching him, like don't expect him to be like this thumping, you know, like he's not a thumper, right? He's got a little bit of pop to him. You know what I mean? He can pop a guard, but he needs a little run up to it. You know what I mean? Like those elite linebackers from like 10 years ago, they could knock you out with a foot of space. You know, he's got to have a little run in and that's where he feels most comfortable. But I think that's what the game is going to. So like, that's good. That's why he's, right. he's picked in the first round. That's why he has so much value. So, and then we'll, I'm going to start on the the pass the pass coverage and the eye discipline because that yep. does show up a lot. Yep. How vital? I mean, it's probably a silly thing. I think every position on defense you have to have eye discipline, especially right. in coverage. But how different maybe was it with him than some other guys that you saw? Well, I think you just look at the way the NFL game is going, and like Pro Football Focus talks about this all the time. How they're like the most exploited position on the field. Right. And it's because they have to play the run, they have to play the play action, they have to play the screen, they have to play the draw, they have to play the quick game, they have to play the deep pass, and they're involved in all of those things. Unlike a safety or a DB that, you know, seven-step drop, like they're not expected to fit the run. They can kind of focus on their specialty, right? So having good discipline with the eyes and knowing what to look at and when to look at it is is imperative. And like, so 
I think that should be that's another thing that adds to his value because you watch him like there's a there was a keeper against Georgia and he's and he, you know it's everything say and run he gets in there but he doesn't bite it all the way right and occasionally he's wrong he's wrong kind of erring towards the pass and the other thing I love about him and like I didn't mention this in the video is he plays smart football so like third and ten like I don't care what the action looks like in the backfield he's dropping for a pass right you know third and one third and two. He's sniffing up towards the line of scrimmage. He's a smart, intuitive football player that way, and it allows him to make plays that he might not be able to make otherwise. So, like, I love to see that thought process from a young guy, and hopefully he can carry that to the NFL. I talked about a little bit in the video. Like, I think in Kentucky they were, like, really pass-centric because they see all these pass-heavy teams, so it makes them a little slow to the run. And maybe, you know, Jack Del Rio and the defensive staff here can kind of clean some of that up and just say, hey, like, now we want you to be, you know, play the run, be downhill, like formation, personnel, whatever it is. But I do think like one of the things you come away with is a guy who, who knows what to look at, where to look. And he understands like what patterns match with each other. So like you'll see him in his drop. And I don't even know if he's if he's like studied or if it's just intuitive to him. But like he'll kind of just mirror the quarterback's eyes, feel the receiver's body language and then end up in a nice pocket where the ball is going to be. And like because of all those things we talked about, play action, um, runs, draws, screens, all that stuff, to have a guy who has that skill set is so, so important in today's NFL because he's going to see all of it, especially being in this division. And especially if they keep him inside, which is where they've right. been working it, which is where they worked him in the spring. And I think the desire is to try and make it work in there with him because of that. And, you know, I was going to ask you about the run too and how much could that be? Because when you, when I watched him, that was before the draft, that was my single biggest concern is can right. he play that at the NFL, play inside there and be good against run there. But I also thought like, I felt like he still played with good vision against the run. Right. I felt like he didn't lose sight of the ball carrier. He just wasn't as um, he needed to go get a little bit uh, more aggressive going to the line. But yes. is that, can you, can you tell when you're watching it, is this something that's coached or is that something that's like, you know, how can you see, does he have that in him to do that? So, yeah, that, you know, upon my rewatch, that was something that came to the forefront almost immediately. But the more you watch it, the more you kind of realize that I think it's a coaching thing, right? Because like in certain situations, like, like I said, like specific running situations, he comes alive, right? I wish he would play with a little bit more length. He's got these nice long arms, but he does, he can be aggressive. And I think that's a little bit of a coaching thing. And I think they can encourage him to kind of be more aggressive in that area, right? play downhill a little bit more, you know, shoot your gun. Like I've heard linebacker coaches say that before, right? Right. Steve, go get it. And, um, and I think that that's something that'll be interesting that, you know, we talked about Cosme in the, you know, when we before we got on the call, but like with Jamin, that's something that I, when they get pads on and in, in, in camp, I want to see how he does in that situation. Cause like I said, when he's covered up, it looks good. You know what I mean? But one of the ways that our, our the defensive line here in Washington plays is they kind of play like a read three technique. And I think they're trying to coach them out of that, but that's what, that's right. what happened last year. And so you get right. guys getting run off the ball a little bit and people end up in the linebackers laps. And one of the things that Jack Del Rios or not Jack, uh, Ron Rivera said last year was he wants the linebackers to peel those double right. teams. And Jamin, at least in college, didn't do that. You know what I mean? He did. That was not his thing. Right. He he's fast to the ball. He's aggressive. He's a good tackler, all those things. But in terms of peeling a double team, getting in the fit quickly that's not what he did and again I think that's more scheme I think that's more what Kentucky was trying to do with him they were you know they play all these pass centric offenses so like you got to defend the pass and I think that's probably what they were doing with him 
and and so that that's I'm I'm curious, you know, right. what I mean, in, in terms of in, in how that looks, because I think he's got it in him, and I hope my assumption that it's just coaching comes to fruition, because then you get a heck of a football player. You get a guy who has the physical tools to play pass, run, and can cover uh, running backs and, and receivers out of the backfield. And you know, like he had a clip I didn't put it on my Instagram, but of him running with Kyle Pitts. You know, him yeah. biting on a run action and then having the speed to match him back. That was that was an impressive play. I mean, that that alone will get you in the first round, right? So to have a guy with those kinds of skills and be a little bit more aggressive in the run, you get a you get a really, really, I can't overemphasize, an extremely special player. And so that's what I'm curious about. Cosme, we're talking about hand placement, him. Right. How does he fit those double teams? How does he fit the run? Can he be more aggressive? And I will say in the spring, one thing that jumped out to me is he didn't look lost. That right. and, and I think because you're only going to see so much in the spring without pads. So it's like, is the guy – can he is he playing? Is he showing the traits that got him drafted? And I would say he did. Moving on to John Bates, tight end. The word I always heard from people over there is solid. They think he can be a solid player. What right. you know, and for what did you see um just after watching him again? Yeah. So uh, upon the revisit, you know, like you kind of left the first evaluation thinking he's really good in the run. I thought he was subpar in the pass game upon my first kind of visit of him. And then you take a break and then you say to yourself, he's a little bit better. He's he's I think solid's a good word. I think he's extremely dexterous in the run game. I think his footwork is something that you see from a guy who's been in the league for three, four, five years. Like I played with a whole bunch of guys over the course of my career who were either converting to tight end or played in a spread in college. And it takes them three or four years to learn just the run footwork. And here you have a guy who will be productive in that area immediately. And that's extremely valuable because you need to fill that role. And then the more you watch him, the more you realize like he's he's not maybe the fastest guy, right. Or the most explosive guy, powerful guy in terms of running, jumping, all those kinds of things. But he does have a really nice kind of mobility towards the ball when it's in the air, right. It doesn't get up on him really quick. He can turn his shoulders. He's not like Mr. Stiff torso guy who has to turn his whole body to look at the football. And that is really valuable for a man who's that big and has that other skill set of being in the run. So to me, it kind of reinforced the run game stuff. And in some ways, I felt like I underevaluated him as a run blocker during my first go, which is you know, too bad for him. And I'm kind of mad at myself for doing that. But it, it looked way better the second time. Like he was doing stuff against Florida State and, um, you know, UW. Where he's blocking, you know, first round defensive linemen successfully by himself. And you say, that's that's pretty good right there. And doing it with really tight, crisp hands and feet, that's pretty special. And then the pass game stuff comes, comes alive, especially like when he's attacking the seam. Right. He's never going to win like short he's area. He's not a burner. Yeah, he's not super quick with his feet. But seams, corners, think like longer developing plays down the field where he can kind of open his stride and get running. I think he adds a ton of value there. And then, you know, like special teams, I think that's something that's important to kind of keep in mind when talking about him. Because like if he's going to fill that kind of Y, blocking Y role – you want to get, you know, 15 to 25 catches out of him a year. You want him to be good in the run game and you want to play teams. And I think you get a kind of a day one starter if he can maintain that level of physicality in the run game throughout training camp. So we talked about, you know, um, right. Jamie in terms of how he p plays double teams, how he plays the run from inside. Because I think he plays the run, his college shape anyway, was pretty good from outside, right? And then it's with Bates is can he keep that technical acumen in the run game and execute at a high level against – the, some of the best defensive linemen in the NFL and sweat and uh right and and the one thing I was going to ask you too because one of the things that surprised me a little bit because of what I saw in film was in the you know the first time they had him on the field the how much emphasis they had on 
making getting his hips lower, getting his right. hips lower. But on film, for a college kid, it looked like he did that. And so right. then I'm watching him. So how different is that? Ask, this is like geeky stuff. But how different is it to sink your hips at an NFL level versus college? So I watched your video, right? And I could hear the coach in the background going, oh, get your hips down, get your hips yeah. down. What are you saying? He's a, he seems like a character. Anyway, uh, and uh, and what I noticed is they're doing everything out of a two-point, right? Two-point like receiver stances, right? Mm -hmm. And so most of John Bates' stuff in college was from a three-point, right? Where it's kind of more intuitive to keep your hips down. And the plays where he struggled keeping his hips down were from a two-point. So if you look at Carolina's offense, like when Greg Olson was there, they did a lot of stuff out of a two-point because it, it's confusing for the defensive end, right? If you can block inside zone from a two-point, the defensive end kind of lines up a little bit wider. He doesn't know if it's a pass, right? It gives you a lot of advantages. And, uh, you know, I'm working with Casey Tuhill, and he sends me clips from practice, and I know they did that a lot. Two okay. points by John Bates um, kind of into a, into a tight zone, right, which is something that a lot of teams have never gotten proficient in and because it's really hard on the tight end to get down and dig somebody out of there. So, you know, in those clips when it's from a two-point, especially from a wide receiver two-point, which is you kind of start in this really tall, angular position, it, it can be confusing and, and very challenging. So I think that is where he's probably getting the most okay. coaching is that specific area because in most offenses, they don't do that a ton. But in, in Carolina's offense, they didn't do it a ton last year. I guess they did with Logan Thomas. But that two-point blocking position, especially from a receiving two-point, is very, very hard. Like speaking from experience, you know what I mean? It's very, very challenging to kind of resync your hips and drive a guy out of there. So if I'm the coach and I'm gonna, I know we're going to do a lot of that, like – I'm going to emphasize the hell out of it because I also know that Bates struggled with that when they did it in the limited amount in college. Now they didn't major in it and I think he can right. get there, but it's going to take a little bit of time to get there. Now what's the big thing to get used to? Cause again, he's a, he's six, six. So what's how, you know, what's the key to getting to that point that works yeah. at a good level? Yeah. What so I think one of the things when you're in that two point position, right, you have to, you talk about sinking your hips. So you have to change your pad level, your hip level, all while taking your footwork, right? So when you're a three-point, it's really easy. It's like bop, 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 nice and straight like you're on a railroad track. It's super easy to kind of maintain that position because you're already in a low position. Here, you have to kind of regather, almost like you're going to do a lunge, you know what I mean? Okay, like, yeah, working, yeah. like get down in that position and keep my feet moving. It's not super intuitive. And like you're talking about a guy who spent probably four or five years in college in Bates blocking from a three-point and getting really good at it. And I always make this comparison, and I think it's 100% accurate. It's like a martial art, right? You throw the same punch 100 times, right? And so now all of a sudden you're saying, hey, like we know you're good at your main punch, which is your three-point blocking technique, but we need you to develop this other punch, which you've maybe done, you know, 100 times in college as opposed to 1,000 or right. 1,500 times, you know? So that just takes a ton of time, a ton of reps. If you look at Greg Olson over his career in Carolina, like he actually got pretty good at it. He could block power from a two point, which, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm a much bigger guy than Greg Olson, but I don't know if I could do that because I never practiced it. I wasn't hmm. proficient that way. And so I think that's what, if you can get them there, it's going to be a huge advantage for the offense. Let's go to two more topics. One, um, this team, everyone wants to see them take that next step. Right. You run a couple teams here that made the playoffs, could not repeat that. Now, I think in 2012, in 13, it yeah. was. A disaster, <laughs> as yeah. we all saw, and then right. I think in fifteen you missed sixteen. Yeah, um, but you were you were around. Yeah. So and it was only by a game. But what's do you see anything different in this group from either the watching them, from reading, from hearing about them? 
that maybe gives them a better chance to build off that success than previous teams that you've seen here or been a part of? So one of the things that really stuck out to me about those two years specifically is I felt like going from the winning season to the next season, every the both the roster was just tried they just tried to maintain the roster, right? Resign guys, give guys extensions, but that's not how you develop in the NFL. Like as a player, that's hard for me to say because like I was the I was abused by that for a couple of years, right? Bring them in, kick them out, bring them in, always looking to upgrade. And what I felt like is the staff here did a really good job of making the roster better, which increases the offseason competition, sure. which increases the overall talent and production of the team. And if you can do that year in and year out without resting on your, your laurels from the year before and saying, we've got a good group, we can't upgrade it. Like, I think that's short-sighted. I think they took a really nice approach here. They upgraded the receiver group. You know, they, they brought in all of They upgraded the O-line. We just talked about Morgan Moses getting let go and how, like, that's a tough decision to make because I think he's a good football player. But they're able to save a little money, get more, get kind of deeper on the O-line, if that right. makes sense. And I think they did that kind of across the board, drafting Jamin Davis in the first round. You know, you're someone in that room is going to be out you know, drafting receivers, someone's going to be out there. A good player is going to be cut. And that's what you want, right? That's what you want going from a, a playoff run into the next season is you want to get better. You want to improve. And if, cause if you just kind of say, Oh, we were good last year. We, we don't need to do anything. Cause I felt like that's what happened in 2012. I think everyone thought, Oh, Robert's here. Everything's good. We'll just kind of maintain the, the nucleus around him. And we went into camp, everyone knowing that they were going to be playing football for the Washington football team the next season. But that's not how it goes, right? The, the, the offseason competition is, is extremely important because it builds like this character in the roster and the team. So I think that that's one thing that's encouraging to me. And also the fact that they're a really young team, right? They're hungry. They want to get back there. A lot of them come from winning cultures. I know that's something that people think is overrated. But I think it's important because guys are like guys from winning programs like Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson, like they get to the NFL and they they like hate losing because they haven't done a lot of it. You know what I mean? Right. I would played like we sucked so i was like oh yeah we lost two you know what i mean <laughs> i got a lot of practice of losing you know what i mean but i think that's another thing that's important so like that the roster competition has been outstanding and then this young nucleus of, of guys who i think want to win and want to be great is important too and i i think that's a big thing and, and that's why rivera's big thing this offseason with depth and competition and i think that's why he's doing it wherever they can they're going to have that i mean obviously at defensive end you said you work with Casey. Well, Casey and everybody else defensive end are there's a huge gap between them and the starters. But in other places, there aren't there isn't that gap. So it, right. it does matter. Like, what does that could you see? Do you see guys? Did you see guys? I just I don't know if the word coast is the right word, or is it do they if they're not challenged, do they just respond differently? Is that what happened? Yeah, I think I think that's a coast is a, is a nice word. I think um, what happens is like you know, you go into a practice and you know, like you, let's say you're on the O-line and you and you lose to a defensive lineman and you're like, oh, well, okay, well, what are they going to do? They can't put anybody else in, right? They can't usurp my position here. I'm the starter, right? There's nobody pushing me. There's nobody kind of making me accountable for that rep. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. That's what happens on teams is guys, like there's been, there's been years where I've gone in as the starter and like I've, it's been nice, you know what I mean? Because you're like, oh, you know, like I don't need, I don't need to worry every single day about my job. But also, like, you do kind of have this kind of, oh, yeah, like, I, I lost that rep, but who else are they going to put? Like, I'm the, only, I'm the only guy on the team who can do that, you know? And so it does kind of paint a different picture for you. And I think that, like, you know, 
Like just look at the, the the DB room right now. Like it's packed with really talented people, right? So that allows you not only an increased level of competition, but it allows you to do different things defensively, right? All those things are just so, so critical. And um, it, it keeps guys out of that kind of coasting mentality, right? Because you know that the guy right behind you is just this much different, a very, very, very small difference between you and the backup. And that's a scary thing. And it and fear um, oftentimes it can be bad, but I think also it can bring out the best in people. And I think that's what a really competitive roster does. Absolutely. And one of those spots would be quarterback. And now yep. I think we can all debate like the level of the comp, like how, how serious is, is it an even competition? My take has always been that Fitzpatrick's the guy going in, they're going to, they're going to compete, but he's the guy going in. If he does well, well, there's no doubt. But right. there is still – they're not just saying, well, it's your job to lose. It's like, well, kind of is. But right. if you don't take it seriously, Heineke's going to come up. How does that play in a locker room? When you have that kind of situation, how much do you guys pay attention to that? How does that play? So I think a lot of times guys are more worried about their own thing, to be totally honest. You know what I mean? I think offensively, you kind of know. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you're going with the the second-string quarterback and he's kind of – um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's kind of, he's pushing the one guy. You can feel that you kind of say to yourself, Oh, like this guy's really talented. Maybe he deserves a better shot. You know, um, so-and-so wouldn't make this mistake and maybe he deserves a shot to be the number one guy. Right. I personally think like I'm kind of in your position here, like in the sense that I think it's Fitz, it's Fitzpatrick's job kind of all the way. You know what right. I mean? I think do something pretty disastrous to get Heineke to start because I think everyone's kind of thinking about Heineke in the playoff game and saying wow like he deserves to be you know this the starter off of one game but the the his his start before that was in Carolina and I was playing in Atlanta and I got to see it and he threw three interceptions and looked terrible you know what I mean so like right. been out of football since that game you know and I think people need to keep that in perspective right being a quarterback in the NFL isn't about one performance it's about multiple games of experience and consistency and like everyone talks about Fitz magic and Fitz tragic but at least Fitz Fitz magic has been in the NFL for 15 years he knows how to execute an offense knows how to call plays you know you're gonna get some up and down but you know that median's pretty right in the middle right um and I think with with Heineke like there is this potential that he could be very good and I think a lot of fans are betting on potential they're optimistic about it but I also look at it and I say to myself like I've seen the bottom of that and that bottom is not a guy who deserves to be in the NFL. You know what I mean? And like yeah. being both ends of the spectrum, I, I hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm hating on Heineke because I no, I, it's, he becomes, he I think becomes, it's important to put his career in perspective. Yeah, and right. The point the point you're making is that there's been this and there's we saw this. But yeah. There's also that that right. a lot of fans didn't see, but you did. Yeah, and I think that that's like I hope I hope I'm wrong. I hope he becomes a starter because his, his story, story. And, and his journey is amazing. But I think if you are if I'm betting if I'm betting my house, if I'm betting the future of my organization, if I'm betting on my, like, think about these coaches, think about Ron, think about the staff, like they're betting their families' lives on that, right? In the sense that like, they're going to have to move everybody out of here if it doesn't go well, right? And I think that when you have that, you kind of go with something you feel a little bit better about. And if I'm a coach, if I'm a GM, I feel like I can trust what I'm going to get out of uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick as opposed to Heineke. The ceiling might be higher, higher with Heineke, but the floor is also lower. And that floor, that low floor, is 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 scary. And with as from a player's perspective, because he did win guys over with how just the yeah. with everything he showed, not just the resolve, the the way he played, the style, guys gravitated toward him. 
How long does it usually take for guys to say, you know, it's, hey, it was one game versus this kid can play? Right. <laughs> that's that's the million-dollar question. Yeah. yeah. If, if you or I knew the answer to that, <laughs> we would not be having this conversation. True. I would be a GM somewhere, and I'd be doing something really making a lot of money on my yacht someplace. Anyway, <laughs> but um, so I, th- I think the as a player, right, there is – it really comes down to how you perform in the game, right? You can go like I've played with guys who are awesome in practice, like exquisite. You're like, man, this guy is a baller. And then the second, like a perfect example, Nick Mullins, Nick Mullins for San Francisco, right? Really good practice player, like makes all these throws, very confident, charismatic leader, charismatic personality. Guys gravitate towards him. I think you can see that even when he starts. But when he gets in there, right? There are hiccups, right? There are hiccups that prevent him from being like that guy should be a starter in the NFL, right? And and you just it's just something kind of like uh, intuitive about when you watch it, right? You say that is good, it's really good, it's good in practice, but it's not quite NFL starter caliber. And I think that's something you run in that, that I right now have not seen from Heineke. He might be doing great in practice, right? But you got to get in a couple games, right? And how do those games go? And even and for me, I'm I'm such a stickler, right? It's got to be like more than four games, like more. It's got to be like half a season before I can make a definitive like yes or no, because I want to give him an opportunity. But usually out of that sample size, you can kind of say he doesn't have it. And that sucks because like that doesn't seem like a big opportunity uh, to kind of to get a comprehensive evaluation. But that's how it goes. Right. You can kind of tell in that in that time span whether they got it or not. So I, I would imagine he's been looking good in practice. That's what I've been hearing. Yeah, he, he, did, he looked pretty good. Yeah. And um, but I. I like you got to see it when the lights are on, when things are going well, when people are moving full speed. And and the last thing here, Logan, with this, with this, and I again always appreciate you joining me. Who do you think knows first, the other players or the coaches, as far as which guy should be or should you know should be the starter, or is the guy that should be out there? Gosh, that's a, that's an awesome question because like I consider myself pretty good at evaluating talent. And there's been situations where I'm like, this guy is terrible. Like, he should be out of here. Like, this is a great example. Matt Ioannidis, everyone knows who that is. Like, when he first got here, I was like, this was a mistake. They shouldn't have drafted him, right? And then they kind of, for whatever reason, they kind of put him on, like, like practice squad. They kind of hit him on the roster for a year. His second year was a little bit better. And then the third year, it was like this explosion, right? And so sometimes, like, the coaches can see, I think coaches long-term can see a little bit better than players short-term like like short-term like 90% of players can be like he can play or he can't play right but coaches kind of have this because they have you know like a thousand of you they can kind of see everything they can kind of see how the roster is going to be in three years like where's he going to fit in and that's what I've seen I saw that with Kyle Shanahan I saw that with Bill O'Brien everybody has that ability kind of like don't the jury's still out on him and for me as a player I'm like he can't do it right now so why is he here right they can kind of sit on it. And obviously Matt's become a fantastic player in the NFL, one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL, which is great, but that took a couple of years to get there. Right. So I think, um, you know, if you're asking a player, if he can play today, players have a very acute understanding of that, but coaches have this, you know, they've been around the game for a long time. They have, they have decades of experience in terms of seeing players develop. And I think that's something that, um, is kind of cool, right? Because you kind of say, well, why, why is Ron giving him another shot? Why is Ron letting him sit around? And I think Ron, with this thousand-foot view, can kind of say, I've seen other guys who've done this. I've seen other guys who've developed from his spot and become good starters. 
And I think that's true. And I think one thing he also does well is he, he know he has a good pulse of the locker room. Right. So I think in this situation, if there are a lot of guys in there that say Heineke's our guy, I don't care right. what you're seeing. And I and those guys really like Fitzpatrick. But if they say love this guy, but this guy is the better player, I think Ron will take that into account when they're making decisions. To what degree, I don't know. But if right. you're getting it from all these guys, like when John Beck was here, I just remember it was like guys wanted Rex back in there, you know? Right. And so, but I don't think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is John Beck either. But <laughs> the, the point is, but the point is, you know, sometimes that pulse locker matters. We'll see. But I think it, yeah. I think you were like, I have the same idea that I'm curious to see how Heineke develops. He's an intriguing guy going into camp. And I will always say that I'm, ex- I'm anxious to see the kid because we saw what we saw. We know the background. Does he, t- did he take a step? We'll find out. That's why I think it's so intriguing to watch and we'll see. We'll see. So, yeah. I mean, that's why this is one of the funnest times of year, yeah, right? Absolutely. All the yeah. storylines are coming together, right? The potential's kind of building. So it's, it's cool. Yeah. No, it's, it'll, it'll be fun to watch unfold. Logan, thank you very much for coming on. Always, always, always enjoy it. And everybody here, everybody listens, learns. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, John. Really appreciate it. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about a fun new offer from Monkey Knife Fight that can enhance any sports experience, whether you're at a game, on your couch, or in a bar. It's a daily fantasy sports league that is easy to play. You can sign up on monkeyknifefight.com using promo code JKR and play games such as more or less. Will an NBA player score more or less than a listed point total? You can do the same in baseball. Will a pitcher have more or less strikeouts than a given amount, etc.? It's fun. And every Friday, it's Home Run Derby. And on three guys who had home runs that night, all three hit one, you share in the prize pool. Every week, you can participate in their Eagle Eye jackpot based on the PGA Tour. Choose from any sport, from NASCAR to UFC and League of Legends. And of course, once football rolls back around, there will be even more fun prop bets. This is daily sports betting designed for the average fan to use their knowledge and have some fun. Sign up now at monkeyknifefight.com and use promo code JKR. That's promo code JKR. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode Tuesday. Talk to you next time.